Good morning, church. How about a round of applause for our children's ministry and the great job that those guys do? I know I'm a, a bit biased, but I think uh, we've had one of the best children's ministries uh, in our area for a long, long time. And, you know, people that grow up here understand the need for that. One day when you get out there in the real world, you understand that all those Bible stories and all that community and all those songs that you learned make a big difference and give you some training to be ready for the world. So thank you, all of our volunteers and staff, for what you do for our WFR kids. Welcome to everyone. Glad you're here online. Uh, we love you guys. We're so glad you're here. I know we got some visitors I met today uh, that are getting to be here in person for the first time. Many of you say you can't wait to do that. We can't wait for you to get here so we can meet you and hug your neck. We appreciate you guys. Fellowship Center, always love you guys as well. Uh, across the river, Mom and Dad, of course, are part of our work over at the university uh, area uh, at WFRU. And when Dad is there, you know, he has a, a SWAT team person that's there every week to kind of look out for him. And I have BK as my bodyguard, which is my granddaughter. And I tell you, I'd rather take BK. She's quieter and a better shot, probably, than the SWAT guys. Don't mess with her. Uh, she's really good. And uh, so it's always a pleasure for me to get to share that. Natalie Stevens, would you come up? Natalie is going to read our scripture today. It says here that she loves art, so she likes the drawings, which is good. And it also says here that you like cross country. So how far can you run? Not far. <laughs> Not far, she said. Well, I bet you can run farther than me. I can run about three to four meters. You know how far that is? That's about... That's about 9 to 12 feet. That's the distance from the dinner table to the stove. So I've got to do better, so maybe you can teach me, all right? All right, we're going to have a scripture. Enough about my problem. First Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part... If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Thank you, Natalie. How about a round of applause for Natalie? Thank you. Keep running, Natalie. So um, Paul transitioned his case for the gospel of Christ, which really we talked about from Romans 1 all the way through chapter 11. It's so a sort of a more practical now, a, you know, application, if you will, to the body of believers. It's now a Christian era. And so he's going to tell the Romans, this is how you worship. This is how you live. This is how you interact with each other. And so these last few chapters become very practical. Last week, uh, Mike was in Romans 13. And he looked at the believer's response to government, also to the world around us, and to that inward pull uh, that we still have, even as Christians, right? We want to do the right thing. And so the response to those things are every time... Something in Christ, right? To the government, he says, I want you to have a Christ-like humility. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And as citizens, that's what we should do. We have his humility. Because you think about it, Jesus is, was, and ever will be the creator of the universe. And yet while he walked around on this planet, he said, pay your taxes. Submit to those authorities that are there. That's pretty big for the creator of the universe to say that. He says, that's how I want you to be. I want you to be humble. 
He also said, of course, when it comes to people around you, you have a Christ-like love. We love everybody. Amen? doesn't matter about race. It doesn't matter about gender. It doesn't matter about what part of the world you come from. We are one in Christ. So, therefore, we treat one another with respect and love. When it comes to ourselves, we have a Christ-like light. He called it the armor of light. We don't want to be in darkness. We don't want to be in the shadows. We want to be real and authentic. When we mess up, we want to be real and tell people about it. I messed up. But in Christ, all is forgiven, right? And so that last verse in chapter 13 I want to read to you because it sort of launches us into what we're going to talk about today in chapter 14. Paul said, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So, in other words, once you're clothed with Christ, you no longer look to yourself and to gratify yourself and your own flesh and your own sinful nature. Now you want to gratify Christ. You want to help one another. You want to think outside of me. And when we start looking outside of ourselves for gratification, where do we look? Well, he, the natural step is you look into the body of believers. We now are not alone. We do this together, right? So that's a good thing. Of course, sometimes until it isn't. And that's what chapter 14 all the way through chapter 15, verse 13 is going to be about. When sometimes we look at one another and we don't have that Christ-like mentality, especially for things that we differ on. You remember we were studying the book of Acts? We get to Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4. Man, the, the unity that was there, the body of believers, and everybody's meeting. It's so exciting, and people are getting baptized every day, and they're studying the Bible. And, man, we're just doing nothing but loving each other. And then we get to chapter 5 in Acts. You remember what happened? We had a couple of selfish people. They were greedy. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the apostles. They lied to the body of believers. We had a terrible tragedy. And so all of a sudden, what happened to all that good stuff? It got tough because we started dealing with people's weaknesses, right? Then we get to chapter 6. What happened next? We had this group of people, the, the, the Grecian widows, and they felt like they were being overlooked because they were Greeks and they weren't Jewish widows. And we had this conflict inside the body. What happens is people are people and we make mistakes and we wrong each other and we have differing opinions. And sometimes we felt put upon us. Sometimes we feel like people are overlooking me. We got to chapter seven of Acts and chapter eight and everything came back into focus. Why? Because all of a sudden when Stephen was killed, the church realized we're in this together. And the most important thing is to be ambassadors of Christ. You see, when people start dying because people are after you and the persecution gets that heavy, you start realizing what the most important things are. You quit wondering about, worried about, you know, whether I'm going to get my bread at the proper time. You start saying, man, we, we got to rally to one another. Well, that same thing is what Paul is explaining here to the Romans. We're in this together. Paul's going to move inside the body of believers He's going to give us insight how to live in harmony, in unity, and love for one another. Even though we have different backgrounds and personalities and different opinions. Disputable matters, he would call it. So he uses a couple of real-life examples of differences of opinion and how they affect your faith. He first talked about what you eat, 
And then he talked about certain days that may be special to you, but not so special to this person over here. This person feels like I have to celebrate this day. This person says that's crazy. The only day that matters is the day of Christ. How do you work those things out together? And I got to be honest with you this morning. It's been over 2000 years since Romans 14 and 15 were written. And all that's happened over that period of time is this little small illustration of a couple of things in Romans has grown into a very, very, very long list of things to divide over, things to splinter and split over. The body of Christ has split and splintered into so many shards that we lost our ability to impact the world. That's just an honest statement. So you know what that means? That means that over time, we have not listened, we as the body of Christ, to what Paul put forth in Romans 14 and 15. We haven't done a good job. We've expanded division instead of expanding unity. And that's on us because he gave us everything that we need. A, a few weeks ago, I gave you a sermon called Don't Miss the Point. Here is what I call a don't miss the point alert. If I had some red flashing things to go off right now, I'd have it. Don't miss the point alert. Are we ready? This passage was not written to make rules for one another to follow. Because that's what's been done to this text. We just make up some new rules. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to accept one another's differences And differences of opinion and to live in unity, harmony and peace because we are the body of Christ on earth. Did you get that? So when today when you're somewhere and somebody says, hey, what the preacher preach on? That's what you tell. That the point of this passage is for us to accept one another in spite of our differences or differences of opinion, because that's what unity and harmony means. Not that we're all groupthink and everybody's doing the exact same thing. This passage has been taught, unfortunately, many times to be exactly the opposite of what it was designed to do. And you say, well, that sounds pretty easy. Just let's do an invitation song. You wrap that up pretty good. We haven't even gotten to the text yet. It sounds easy, right? But it's not. And you know why it's not? You know why over 2,000 years it's been so hard and all the splintering? It's because we have an enemy that is a master of deception, division, and destruction. I mean, he's tough. He knows what he's doing. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3, the first time we see the enemy show up? What was he doing? Whispering some deceptions to try to create some division, hoping to destroy somebody. I mean, we didn't even know why he was here. Adam and Eve didn't know why Satan was there. They sure didn't know why he was in the form of a snake. And yet, what was he saying to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? You won't die. You'll know what God knows. You can decide. You can be like God. What a liar. And yet, what did he accomplish? Division. First, between God and humanity, because that still affects us today. Then between a husband and a wife, it was a woman you gave to me. It's your fault. And then their own family. We go to the next chapter and what happens? First murder, two brothers. What happened? Divided family. 
because they believe the lie and the lie divided. Y'all seeing any of that going on in our American culture today? Oh, my goodness. Lies, deception, division. It's terrible. Earlier in Romans 11, we talked about Elijah sitting there under a broom tree, looking up at God and saying, I'm the only one. I'm ready to go. I'm tired of this life. What happened? He was deceived. God said, I got many out there that are just waiting on you to lead them. It shows you how confident Satan is. He even tried this on Jesus himself in Luke 4. You already, Jesus was out in the desert. The Holy Spirit had led him there. His ministry was about to begin. He'd been baptized to show that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so who shows up? Satan. And you know why I thought Satan, he's, why he's so interested is because he has no idea what Jesus is doing here. Why would God become one of these humans? And so he's curious. And you know that he and his minions have been following Jesus around for his first 30 years trying to figure out what is going on. What's he doing here? And then all of a sudden he's baptized and he's proclaimed as the Savior and the Messiah. And so what does he do? He just sidles right up next to him. He starts whispering to even Jesus, our Lord. That's how bold he is. And what did he say? If you are really the Son of God, if you are really the Messiah, if you really want to rule this world, worship me. I'm in control down here. Man, what a divider. He was trying to divide Jesus, this human being that he's seeing, that he knows where he came from, from the Father and from the Spirit. He even tried it with God. That's how bold he is. So we get to Romans 14, and you think, well, how is he going to respond to this new body of believers, this church, that all they're doing is robbing souls from him and ushering them into Christ? Because now he knows what happened. Once Jesus died on the cross, he was like, "Uh uh-oh, it's up, it's over. And he's so upset about it that what does he do? He turns to the body of believers. And that's where he tries to do his work today. There are three thoughts that I want to share with you from Romans 14. The first is in Romans 14, 1 through 5. Because the enemy instigates disunity. He is an instigator. Full confession this morning, I'm the oldest of five. I was a great instigator in my younger years. I was a manipulator of circumstance. See, I had two brothers that were close together in age, which made them ripe for division. And I was just old enough to be able to put the right instigation into play to get them to conflict to the point where then they would get disciplined. From mom or dad. And I took great pleasure in watching that discipline. He said, wow, that sounds terrible. You sound like the devil. I, I said it was a confession. Just being honest. I was an instigator. I don't know that other older siblings have that, you know, in your past. But I enjoyed it. I like working out the situation. You get them fighting just to that point. As mom comes in, you back up and say, I can't do anything with these two. You know, what, what, what are we going to do? 
we're going to get your daddy involved in this. I love the idea. Now I like where you're going, right? That's exactly what the evil one does. He creates the scenario. He instigates. He puts the right thing into place. And then right when it all comes down and you feel terrible, he backs up and says, what are you going to do about this, God? Look at these people. They're your people. Instigator of disunity. Here's what Paul would say in verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So that tells you off the bat, folks, in the body of believers, there will be disputable matters. That means we don't agree. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Even back in that day, they were having issues with the food, right? We still have it today. I'm a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a this. My next door neighbors, Johnny and Chris, they're pescatarians. I had to look it up one time because I didn't know what that meant. It meant that they don't eat meat, but they will eat anything that swims, fish or shrimp or whatever. Okay, whatever. I'm a Cajuntarian. You know what that is? You look that up, you're not finding anything that goes into pot. That's a Cajuntarian, right? But look, I have no dispute with my neighbors and my brother and sister in Christ because they only want to eat things that swim. I know it was the decision they made because Johnny had cancer and they think it'll help them. And it has has nothing to do with our faith or love for one another, but it still goes on. You still have differences, right? The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for God has accepted them. Do you get the point? Whether you're the person that says, I know I can eat anything, or the other person says, you know, I really don't feel like I can eat that. It's just not right. Both of you are in Christ, and you don't look down on one another. You're one in Christ. But the evil one comes along and says, oh, look over there. Look at the big high and mighty. He thinks he's so good. He can eat or drink whatever he wants to. What happens? Division. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. doesn't matter whether the person's faith is weak or not. He says he's right there with you because of Christ. He makes us stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. That happens in modern times. Somebody says, I'm not going to celebrate Halloween. That's of the devil because of blah, blah, blah. And they lay out the case. And somebody says, ah, every day it belongs to the Lord. What does it matter? But I've seen disputes. I've seen splits. I've seen people with relationships severed over just something like that. And what is Paul saying? Don't be like that. This is of the evil one. So, and this could have applied to anybody. This could have been Jew to Greek because they had different food laws and they had different things they represented. This could have been Jew to Jew because they did as well. Could have been Greek to Greek. But it's to all of us. We are one in Christ. And what one does or doesn't eat or drink What one does or doesn't celebrate as a holiday shouldn't divide us. Ever. I mean, is that clear? It is to me. Just because you can doesn't mean you always should. Or shouldn't. We trust in Christ. 
Paul would say later in verse 17 of 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human, receives human approval. It's not about those things. It's about something bigger. And we should always remember that. Second thing, not only does he instigate disunity, the enemy isolates to divide. Look back at verse 6, Romans 14. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. See, that's where we all have a commonality. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here's the key verse. Verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. We are not alone. The devil wants to isolate, not the Lord. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You know, some of the three examples I gave you earlier, Eve, Elijah, Jesus. Did you notice that the evil one went to them when they were isolated to whisper? In every case, Jesus has been out for 40 days. He hadn't had any food. Physically, he was weak, even though spiritually he was strong. That's why he didn't give in. Eve was there, and she's by herself, and she's looking at that tree, and she's thinking, man, Elijah's out there under the broom tree, all alone. He likes to isolate. He gets us alone in our own minds, and he starts telling us things are bad, and you know, so sister so-and-so, and this happened, and I tell you, this, this church, and we start listening. And we isolate and we forget the purpose of the family of God. He says we are not alone. We are all one in Christ. We are built for diversity, action, and we're built to do it together. That's what we're called to. Anything else is from the evil one. And that should help you because if you're sitting here listening to me today, wherever you are, and you've had some old wound or old hurt or old church thing that, you know, from it may be 20 years ago, but it still bothers you. I just want you to know today that was from the evil one. That wasn't your brother or your sister or your church leadership. The evil one planted that. So you know what? Give that up to God. Don't be bound by that anymore. Don't be burdened. We are here for you. We're together in this. Yeah, but I don't agree with this. It's okay. He says we won't agree on everything. And yet we are what? One. That's the purpose. It's what we're called to. It's what makes us different than the world. Man, look at the world. You talk about can't agree and everybody's the enemy. We're not like that. We're offering something different. Whenever we started In the Woods with Phil, which is Dad's digital show on Blaze, we did a contest to get more subscribers to come on board. And so the, the contest was, you know, you had to, I forgot what you had to do. But anyway, you submit something to us. And if you win, then you got to come to Louisiana. You got to hunt with the duck men. And you got one of Miss Kay and Phil's meal, which was a big deal, right? A lot of people responded. 
And so this family from Alabama is actually a woman and her husband, but the woman's the one submitted it. Uh, they won. And so she sent me this email and said, you know, we're so excited. We won the sweepstakes. And I said, yeah, great. You know, when can we arrange it for you guys to come over? She said, well, I got to tell you, I'm so embarrassed to say this right off the bat, but we're vegetarians. And I was like, well, that's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed about that. Well, I mean, you know, we're coming to hunt. I just thought you were going to think we were weird because we're vegetarians. And I said, no, we love vegetables. I mean, we like meat too, but that's okay. No problem. And she said, well, it was my husband. It was his heart. And we, we did this for dietary. We said, you don't have to explain yourself. It's okay. And so when they came over, they hunted. And then we sat down to a meal and mom had cooked the whole thing. Guess what it was? Good old country vegetables, right? And she does that pretty well. No meat around. Now, why did we do that? Because they were vegetarians. We were just meeting these people. We we're excited to have them in our home. There was no dispute. There was no, well, what's wrong with you people? I mean, you know, the Bible says arise, kill, and eat. Don't be like that. Love people. Love people. That's his point. And the last thing that I'll share is not only does he, he try to divide us, he tries to get us to not be unified, but here's the, here's the secret to the whole thing in verses 9 through 12. He's defeated. He's been defeated. Why would we let him hold power over us and how we operate and how we love one another? Look at verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Then why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why do you treat him with contempt? We all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You know what that means to me? We're good. We're good. You know why? We've already bowed the knee to Christ. I did that back when I was 18 years old. I bowed that knee. I confessed him as my Lord. So when I go in to give an account to God, I give account that Jesus Christ is in charge of me. That means Satan has been defeated. I already know how this thing plays out. That's what we're here for. So why would I want to be in dispute with my brother and sister over some matter that doesn't matter when I know that's what we have? You see, when more churches will speak this message of truth, then we will begin to impact and change the world around us. Instead of what's wrong with everybody else. It's the reason why there are churches on every corner and they're all shrinking. Because of a lack of impact and unity in a message around Jesus Christ. Who can't get excited about going to heaven and already knowing the outcome? Satan has been defeated. So I don't want to divide and I don't want to dispute. And I sure don't want to destroy anyone else's faith. Paul and Peter gave us the answer to why this is still difficult in Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter 5. See, the old evil one, even though he's been defeated, that rascal, he's still prowling. He's still scheming. He's still working. And according to the Bible, he never stops. So how do we defend instead of divide? Well, first thing we need to do is fully clothe in the armor of God. What does that mean? That means you see truth, 
Righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. All those things are weapons to fight. We fight with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, meaning we're no longer looking at self to gratify fruit of the spirit. But the key is that we fight together. We don't fight each other. I don't want to fight with any of you. I love you guys. Will we have difference of opinion? Sure. You may be right. I may be right. We both may be wrong. But we're going to do that in Christ because the gospel of Jesus is our central focus and our love and unity for one another. So some of you today, because you never know how people come to a message, you may be feeling a little beat up, a little bit isolated and alone. It happens. You may have been getting some whispers from the old evil one that says, you know, you can't trust these people. They're just hypocrites. They're sinners like you. You know what I say to that? Amen. We're sinners. So you shouldn't feel all isolated and left out. Come be part of the party. We trust in Christ. Maybe you're divided from your spouse, from your body of believers, from your family. You may be in a place that's tough. Well, I got good news for you. Any day is the day for reconciliation and renewal. Any day. He said, well, what if I can't make it right with all my relationships? You keep trusting in Christ, it'll work out. Always. You keep loving, you keep being unified, it'll work out. Even sometimes when we lose relationships. It's never too late and it's never too early. When I was traveling this last week, I finally got to an email from a young man that lives in Oklahoma, Muskogee, Oklahoma. And he said he was 21 years old and his life had been terrible and he came across our podcast and all of a sudden it just woke him up. And he said, you know what? For the last year I have been working on committing my life to Christ and I've finally done it. He said, I know because I heard you say on the podcast, you know some people in the Tulsa area. I'm ready to take that last step and culminate that relationship. I want to be baptized. Can you get somebody to help me? I said, so I sent him back an email said, I can get somebody to help you within the hour. And that's exactly what happened. They sent me a picture. Can we show that picture? There it is. You know what I love about this picture? And this him with the uh, boots there in the middle and the hat, uh, Brady. Brady said, I never felt so alone when I was serving the evil one. And I saw this picture and I thought, he's not alone. He's found family. Some friends of mine who are up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who says, come on in, boys. The water is fine. That's what it's all about. That's what it's about us helping one another. This young man's life changed. Now he has a forever family. And more than anything, he now wins and defeats Satan. So if that's where you are today, you never made that step. You never made that final culmination, that final step of saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to make it public. I want to bury that old man or that old woman and we're come forth new. That's what you need today. We're open for that right now. If it's just we need some help because we've had some division and we need some prayer, we're always open to that as well as a family. So whether you're in the Fellowship Center, live stream at home, or you're here in this place that I'm at, today's your day. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?